the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one and only Mr. Bobblehead, Mr. Steve Herzig. That's How right. are you? A bobblehead wearing a talit, which we <laughs> talked about last week. Carrying a Torah. And carrying a Torah. You couldn't get any a, more a Jewish key, than that. A key to our Yiddish word of the day. That's right. That's right. Well, hello, but hang everybody. On for that. Hello, everybody. Uh, we are going to uh, have a great show. We're going to continue looking at some of the garb, the Jewish ceremonial garb that people wear for... Dress for worship. That's right. Dress for worship. Hold on. Here we go. Welcome in. Welcome in. Okay. So um, last week, we started a series on looking at some of the components that go into how Jewish people worship, what they wear, especially Jew, uh, Steve growing up, a bar mitzvah boy. He would have worn a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about. Last week, we looked at the talit, the prayer shawl. Uh, we talked a little bit about that. We had, There's scripture for a prayer shawl, and we looked at that. We uh, talked about the yarmulke, remember? All, that, yarmulke. all those yarmulkes, my brother-in-law getting me Boston Red Man, Sox. Man, two. Not, did he even recognize he got you two? Do you uh, think he went there twice? No, he, what he did is one's reversible. So he, he bought the first one. And he said, "Man, this is so good." So, no, this which one's reversible? This one? No, I don't know. He, maybe, maybe he just said, "Oh, that's right." Now I remember, what's the home oh. team and what's the traveling uh, he, team? Who, which brother-in-law gave that to you? Alice's brother. John. Ah, okay. John gave Who it. is not even a boss. Was... He's a Yankee fan. <laughs> yeah. But why did he buy it? Because his daughter, our niece, lives in Boston. Now, so, are more Jewish people Yankee fans or Mets fans? Oh, that is a... I could not answer that question. I probably would... Well, you know, the Brooklyn Dodgers left New York, mm-hmm. and they were the Brooklyn Dodgers. Lots of Jewish people... In Brooklyn, you know, if Brooklyn was was a city instead of a borough, it it'd be one of the largest cities in America. Yeah, like four million people, but it's only a it's only a borough. Yeah. of New York and all the very Orthodox Jews who live in Brooklyn. So the Mets came later in the '60s, I think '62 something like. You know, Brooklyn left. They go to L.A. Uh, the Brooklyn fans are brokenhearted. Uh, they're not going to turn to the Yankees. Nope, Are you kidding? The Yankees beat them so many times in the World Series. Brooklyn got one from the Yankees. Uh, so I would say there's, I don't know today what it is, but I there I can tell you this, a Brooklyn fan wouldn't turn to the Yankees. It just <laughs> wouldn't happen. Uh, We're pretty stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. Well, and you are a Cleveland Guardian. I'm a, lo- I'm a Indians, whatever they're called yeah, these days. They're uh, Guardians. Don't get, don't get me started. Yeah, don't I know. I started. know. What are you going to do? Uh, so I, I can tell you that in 1920, when the Indians changed their name from Spiders to Indians. People were offended? No. They brought a chief. Oh, yeah. An Indian chief. It, the Plain Dealer, which is the newspaper uh, at that time, one of two or three newspapers in Cleveland. Now there's only one, the Plain Dealer. Uh, but when the Plain Dealer, they, you could look back, and there's a huge picture <laughs> of the Indian. He's a chief, and he's so happy that they're the in- Nobody was thinking ill. I grew up an Indians fan. I know you can't say that. I I love them. <laughs> we now were they're the sad. Guardians. Now they're the guard. So I love the Guardians. What are you going to do? That's right. Well, uh it- 
sports are always funny with that. Everybody's changing their names these days, you know? So maybe there was somebody offended by the spiders back then. And uh, they the changed spiders, their names. The spiders, they were called the gnats. They were called the gnats. That's my favorite Nats. one. The gnats. Yeah, like the annoying gnats uh, around yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, we're going to continue our conversation on, uh, you know, some of the stuff that's in what Steve calls his bag of tricks. And so he'll be pulling them out and we'll be able to see some of the components of Worship, I'm excited to see some of the things, too. He's got some good stuff here that we were just chatting about before we went live for the but podcast. Chris, I am excited about patriarchs and presidents. That's right. I'm glad that you said that because the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Quip, and we just wrapped up a series with Tim Harrison on church history, and now we're moving into patriarchs and presidents, uh, America's uh, support and love, the history of America's support and love for Israel and the Jewish people, and so our very own Paul Scharf, and Paul is one of the most busiest, well, he's a church ministries representative, so if you're listening right now, and you like the Jew and Gentile podcast, then, uh, you know, if you go to church, and you love Israel and the Jewish people, then you should call us, contact us, text us at 424-444-1948, because we'd love to send a Friends of Israel representative to your church. Maybe they can represent Friends of Israel by setting up a table. Maybe they can teach in one of your Sunday school classes or maybe even occupy your pastor's pulpit. But either way, we want to come. And Paul Scharf is one of our church ministries reps who do that. He's a little more sophisticated, at least, than I am, Chris. Oh. I mean, the guy is brilliant. Yeah. And his presentations are always just amazing. But if you're looking for a guy to walk back and forth on the platform and shake his arms and move his head. You mean be a Steve Hersey. Yeah, that, that you're not going to get that guy. <laughs> what you are going to get is information intense, biblically strong mm -hmm. in every way. Uh, oh, he he does a marvelous job and I encourage people presidents and patriarchs, you know, do you know Chris But I was going to say Paul Scharf. Paul Scharf spoke something like 80 times last year. There's only 52 weeks in a year. So he spoke Almost 80 times, which means he is traveling and speaking all the time. He's a very busy church ministries representative representing Friends of Israel. And so if anybody's ever interested in having of course, Paul Scharf, you know, or any of our church ministries reps, you can contact us at 424-444-1948, and we'll be sure to connect you with those individuals and set up an appointment to come speak to you or maybe find a way to get into your church. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, I wanted no, to get that's that out. fine. I actually cut you off, so I apologize. But the bottom line is... When we think in terms of uh, patriarchs and presidents, it's hard for us to relate today, but it actually was not a political thing for a president, whether he was a Democrat or a Republican, mm -hmm. to embrace Israel, to embrace them and the Jewish people. It's historically been a unifier. Uh, and as we've discovered over the last few weeks, uh, with last week reading about uh, President Herzog coming and the squad who does who wants to boycott a president who is he's not the a, a mover and shaker in politics in Israel he's a rep of the country of Israel yep. and it this is making some Democrats very upset because they there's still many Democrats who support Israel, but now they're being shouted down. You know, it's interesting, too, because when Israel was founded, it was a very socialist country. A lot of the Jewish people who had immigrated from Eastern Europe, Russia, 
into Israel. I mean, some of them were outright communists. They were communists, socialists. I mean, they carried that banner with them to, to Israel when it was founded. And so there was actually concern among presidents as this is all during the Cold War. You know, well, whose side are you on? Are you on Russia's side or are you on our side? It was actually a, a, a big demarcation for presidents. But even men and presidents like uh, John F. Kennedy, he still supported Israel and he was living in the midst of the Cold War. Uh, but he's Truman. Truman recognized Israel when everybody told him not to. He's a Democrat. Kennedy, a Democrat. Johnson, a Democrat. All through the years, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, not so much. It's getting less yep. now. Well, and it's interesting because as you study history in uh, modern Israel's history, you see that Israel, even though a lot of those people who are coming from Eastern Europe were bringing that socialism, were bringing that communism into the land, they still were bent toward the West while their enemies like Egypt were leaning into Russia and and uh, communist Russia for for alliances. So Israel went to the West and uh, other countries went to Russia. It's just an interesting thing because it confused a lot of presidents. And I think you'll learn all about this and Israel's support uh, or America's support for Israel in our upcoming class, um, uh, Patriarchs and Presidents. You can register for that class. It's free, Steve. I mean, for goodness sake. Free, 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 free. Free. You go to foiequip.org, and there you can register. And hey, guess what? You can't register for it just yet, but it will be up soon. Our very own Steve Herzig is going to be teaching on the Fall Feasts of Israel this September for a class called, you ready? The Fall Feasts of Israel. <laughs> hey, I just found out about it. I... I said, hey, I didn't know about that, but it was even in my calendar. It was in your, I see, didn't know. see, that's the thing. That's we, what happens when you get old. That's right. Maybe I put that on your calendar right before we got on, too. <laughs> so anyway, Steve's going to be teaching the Fall Feast of Israel. You can register for that soon online. You can do all that by going to foiequip.org, learning the Bible from a Jewish perspective, and that's why we're going to look to Emily Stone in Did You Know? That's right. Last week, we did uh, a section of I Love Jew. But the way you—sorry, oh, let me say it again. I love you just the way you are, a sampling of famous intermarriages. Today we're going to do— quick, Which looked at biblical accounts of intermarriages, that, too. That's correct, very, and very significant and important as it relates to genealogies. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also talked about shagists and shiksas <laughs> and how my wife, even though she's a shiksa, is more Jewish— than I am, which makes me a Shagitz. You're you a Shagitz. There you go. That's your new nickname, the Shagitz. Well, here Emily has helped us with a little box called Quick Change Artists, a sampling of stars who converted to Judaism. Oh, this is interesting. Here we have Drew Barrymore. Drew's a Jew, she says. <laughs> she reportedly converted for art-dealing hubby Will Koppelman. Ivanka Trump converted to marry businessman Jared Kushner. Isla Fisher converted to Mary Orth Ortho, Funny Mensch, Saka Baron Cohen. Oh, yes. Liz Taylor converted in 1959 after the death of her third husband, Mike Todd. Elizabeth Banks converted to Mary sports writer, Max Handelman. Nell Carter converted while, uh, while married to her first husband, the son of Holocaust survivors. Ann Mara converted before she married Jerry Stiller. Uh, and they both had Ben Stiller. Marilyn Monroe converted to marry Arthur Miller. Connie Chung converted to marry Maury Povich. Really? Yep. Connie Chung. Connie Chung. She's Jewish. I didn't realize uh, We come in all shapes, sizes, <laughs> two genders, 
and uh, even Asians. There. <laughs> Russian Jews, Asian Jews, Indian Jews. Oh, yeah. We got them all. Azerbaijan. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Davis Jr. converted after surviving his near-fatal automobile accident that cost him his left eye. That's a great story, Chris. Do you know that when Sammy Davis Jr. was in that accident, the story, I, I, was, I read this years ago. He's laying on a gurney in a, the hall, and no Gentile doctor would work on him. Really? A Jewish doctor took saved him, and obviously he lost the sight of his eye, but did the surgery. That was enough for him. Sammy Davis Jr., whenever he performed, he had gold with a star of David. You know, back in, in that day, you know, he's been deceased for years, but back in that day, you know, you open up your... Uh, so your chest is exposed. Yeah. He had gold and star of David's gold all over. That he was is funny. proud to convert to Judaism. That That's is amazing. Well, those are some famous, you know, conversion's an f- interesting thing into Judaism because uh, we're evangelical Christians. Uh, we love it when people come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, that That is something, that's why we're called evangelical Christians. We want to share the good news um, to the whole world, um, as as Paul says, to, the, to both Jew and Gentile alike. Um, but it's interesting because, uh, you know, conversion into Judaism, I've heard Jewish people say, uh, you don't want to convert to Judaism. They almost say, it's not worth your time. You know, uh, you don't want to come into this. This is craziness. You know, it goes all over the place. Like, there's there's a level of conversion into Judaism that is can be very difficult in the Orthodox world. It takes world. a minimum of a year. A uh, yeah. minimum. Minimum of a year. It's like going back to college. I'm serious. Yeah, uh, they give you all kinds of books you got to read. Uh, you got to go through a mikvah. Uh, you got to do a lot of stuff. Yeah, and there were Gentiles even during the days of Jesus that were converting into Judaism. Uh, we know that there were God fearing Gentiles like Cornelius in Acts chapter ten and eleven. Uh, that that was low. I always call that low hanging fruit for Peter because he was a Gentile, but he already loved and admired and even paid tribute to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He loved, you know, the Jewish people. He was already there. He just needed to be told the truth about who the Messiah was. But there were Gentiles that were converting into Judaism. I think of Ruth. Ruth, she didn't have to go through a year. She didn't have to do a whole bunch of reading. Uh, She didn't have to do all that. What she had to do is tell Naomi, your God be my God. Your people are now my people. And you know what the cost of that, Chris, was? She didn't go back to her own people. She would be separated mm-hmm. from her people and adopts a new people, which, by the way, we didn't receive her at first with open arms. Uh, no. it's, it was a tough two, two widows. And they, uh, anyway, you got to read the book of Ruth. All which can, we've studied here in the Jew and Gentile yes, podcast. Yes, we have. It's a, it's a great study and a great look at, yes, it's, a, it's kind of the Old Testament commentary on believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Mm-hmm. It's not that deep, and yet it's very deep. Ruth simply told Naomi, I'm leaving what I knew because I've seen you. I lived with my Jewish husband who's now deceased. I have nothing to go back to. I'm not doing that. I'm going, I'm diving into the deep water, whatever the consequences. By the way, Chris, for Jew or Gentile today, when you believe in Christ, you're diving into the deep water. If it's a true commitment, mm-hmm. you'll find you'll find a lot of pushback. So it's interesting. I'm reading a book right now that talked a bit about um, Gentile conversion into Judaism, especially during the days of Jesus. And 
you know, there was Jewish opinion about it, actually. Go figure. You know, I think there were three rabbis oh, and four opinions. Opinion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there, there were various opinions, some saying Gentiles shouldn't even bother doing it to certain practices that must be done in order for a Gentile to come into the, the Jewish way of life, from circumcision to the mikveh, like you said, being dunked into the mikveh tank and coming out to be a part. But even then, they argue... You know, they're, they're not quite there. But they're not that exactly. Oh, my my parents never trusted a conversion. Oh, really? Never. They n- <laughs> never. <laughs> That's interesting because if somebody becomes a believer, you know, you're going to trust that God, that person is indwelt with the spirit. It's interesting the 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 dichotomy there, you know. My parents had the view, who wants to come here? They probably did it just to get married. And as we it that's that, we, that's that mentality I'm talking about. Why come into this thing? You yeah, know. Well, you got to get married. Hey, there is a, a very good friends of ours. Both they're both deceased now. Uh, she was uh, a Syrian, uh, and he's Jewish, and he wanted to marry her. The Assyrian wouldn't perform the wedding, so they're looking for some Christian to do it. They couldn't find a rabbi to do it because he wasn't very religious, and they didn't. They frowned on it because. This would have been like 75 years ago. So they're going They're going throughout Chicago trying to find somebody. Uh, they keep getting turned down and turned down. They're getting very—this is a true story, and they're getting very discouraged. And you're saying, like, Assyrian, like, from— Assyrian. There is a—the largest Assyrian population is in Chicago. Uh, not Syrian. Assyrian. Assyrian. Like, going Assyrian. back to Shalomancer the, you know, from the Old Testament. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, in fact, I spoke at a church that had— a predominance of Assyrians. So the Jewish wow. guy speak, and, and they love the Christian Assyrians, love Israel. They yep. love the Jewish people. So anyway, fi- finally they get to this Methodist place. This friend is telling me, his wife's sit, sitting there. And so he said, uh, uh, he, he said, oh, you could, you could convert and I'll marry you and I'll, I'll do the wedding. He said, what do I have to do to convert? He said, are, are, are you willing to convert? He said, Yes, he said. Now you're you're Methodist. <laughs> I'm. Not, that's the story. That's it. <laughs> he said yes. <laughs> oh, that's so hard. Amazing. Well, later on, both of them got saved: the Assyrian wife and the Jewish non-religious Methodist. For ten minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they both came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I, that Methodist pastor, uh, bada bing, bada boom, you're in. <laughs> you're in. <laughs> it is true. amazing. It, it's not, do you know that there's the first couple, we should probably do a news thing on this, the first couple to get married by AI. When? Who? It happened. It happened. Well, next week, next week, or not next week, in a couple weeks, I'll find that thing and we'll, uh, we'll talk. Yeah, yeah. AI. You know, I am not kidding you. You could say, AI, I want you to do this wedding in a poem poet a poetic form with a King James language, please. This is I say this because I don't know if we told this story on the podcast, but a couple of uh, tell it again. We we, we, we didn't have very that. many yeah, listeners. Ago. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> when we went up, Steve and I, we manage and oversee North American ministries together. And so our Canadian team does a fantastic job and they just moved into a brand new office building um, next to the Toronto airport. And so we went up to do an office dedication and Steve and I, we were at the hotel and we were waiting, uh, I think in the evening for dinner or something like that. And you were telling me about AI. So I I downloaded it. Yeah. He downloads chat GPT. And I said, you can tell it to say, I'd like to do an office dedication, five minutes long, uh, uh, a message. 
And so he says it, and boom, in three seconds, it spits out a very beautiful office dedication. Uh, and then he goes, I want it to be a I Christ- had added scripture verses. I didn't have scripture verses That's at right. First. Make it a Christian one, add scripture verses, and boom. And then he goes, well, no, now I want just Nehemiah. And now it's just Nehemiah verses. And he goes, I want it in poetic form. Steve couldn't even read it because he was laughing so hard. I'm still laughing. <laughs> then we, somebody said you can make it in Yeehaw version, a Western cowboy. version. Cowboy. I did it version. in Cowboy. That's right. It's and unbelievable. KJV. But there has been a couple. Maybe we could you could Google it on your phone while we're talking uh, when, I'm, when I'm doing a, a little thing. Because they actually had AI do their wedding. That is scary. That is scary. See, they're taking over customs, social customs of our, uh, you know, and now it's just going to be AI, marry me. How can that AI even do it? I mean, how do you, how does it fill out the marriage certificate? Uh, you, I have, I, you're asking the wrong guy. I'm just telling you what I read. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, anyway, Steve, uh, that was a great conversation about nothing, but <laughs> <laughs> we're good at that. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're looking at Steve's book, Jewish Culture and Customs, uh, which is blogged for last week. We talked about that. But I want to pull back for a moment because Steve, you don't do this and you push this away often, but I want to promote you and your book right now. You can go to our show notes and I have a link to purchase steve hold that book up jewish culture and customs steve wrote this several maybe two decades ago a long time ago and Uh, so it's uh, if you really want to learn about jewish culture and customs um it's actually been updated this is the updated um book it's actually the combination of two books and made it one that's right it was Mm -hmm. called jewish culture and customs and more jewish culture nothing to do with the editing they did a fine job except i i'll tell you a little secret the person who did the editing is so young i think this is hilarious in the sports section, I I um, talk about uh, Jewish people who are involved in sports, <laughs> and uh, I can't remember the exact uh, uh, athlete or the award. I think I mentioned that um, that one of the Jewish players won the NFL championship, and so this this person edited it at so young. He changed it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and so I, when the printing happened, I went to him and said, it was correct. It was the NFL championship. Oh, there was no Super Bowl. <laughs> and so he said, I'm sorry. I always, in my life, there's only been That's right. the Super Bowl. So, so it's an easy mistake. It's not a problem. But if anybody gets this book, just know that I... I'm edited all the time, and 99% of the time, they're right, I'm wrong. But this, this was time, the one but time. But this time, he's I letting right. everyone know. He was right I'm this time. I'm letting everybody know. But you can go to the show notes to purchase your copy of the Jew, uh, of the Jew and Gentile, of <laughs> the Jewish Culture and Customs by That's Steve right. Herzig. And uh, really, it will open your eyes. If you're not doing courses like Bridges or Encounter with us, which are all free, this is another great um, addition to learning more about the Jewish people. Um, so, Steve... In your book, you talk about things like the the talit, which we looked at last week. You talk about yarmulkes, the kippas that you wear on top of your head um, to show that you're under the authority of God. Now we're going to move into another aspect of worship for Jewish people. That's right. Putting on worship uh, clothes, and this is part of it, Chris. These actually were my grandfather's, uh, so they're well over 100 years old. Did your uh, grandfather live here? Yes, he but he all four of my grandparents came over uh around 1902 1903 
from Eastern Europe, part of the big move from Eastern Europe because of the pogroms, persecution, between 1883 and 1917, actually probably around 1914, right before World War I, many, almost over 2 million Jewish people came. Many of them went to Palestine, before, obviously before it's Israel. But since, quote, the streets are paved with gold in the U.S., which is what they thought, they came here. And my grandparents, brave. You know, the more I travel, Chris, I don't know how much you think of it. You have heritage of people who came over. You know, we hop on a jet. Yep. We fly over, and we don't like it when the cucumbers are too watery. Yep. You know, why are they giving us this stuff? Uh, it's not cold enough. Mm-hmm. The line's too long. Yeah, the, the, every, the security we're complaining line. complaining about everything, yep. and it takes uh, what whatever, eight hours, seven, depending on the country you're going to. When the immigrants came over here, especially my grandparents' uh, time, it was a you were you spent all the money you had. You didn't know what lied ahead. You were usually in stowage down at the bottom of the of the boat mm-hmm. that you were in. It was days and days to come. It took a great deal of faith. Nothing of which I can identify with, other than to thank them mm-hmm. for giving my parents, first generation, myself. And now my grandkids, uh, the great privilege we have of living in a free place. And even though we complain, and I think justively so, there's anti-Semitism, there's anti-Christian, there's still stuff going on. It's nothing like it was. Unfortunately, it might be that it happens again. Mm-hmm. Only now the address has changed. But either way. But, the, uh, you know, so it sounds like your grand. Great grandparents and my great grandparents left Poland at the same time and came over to to the United States. But to think, my parents, I think they were Catholic uh, in Poland, so nothing would have happened to them. But your parent, your grandparents were Jewish, which means had they stayed, they would have been in the the uh, the bullseye of of the death camps, the bullseye of the extermination camps of Hitler's. Which is exactly what happened to their extended family. Mm -hmm. And Alice and I had an opportunity. We taught at a a seminary on a weekend seminar in Poland and had our FOI staff who took me to Schnadova. I think I talked about this a while ago, but took us to Schnadova. It's not there anymore. But my grandmother's uh, uh, mother, and several of her sisters, young, much younger sisters and brothers, uncles, were lined up in the streets of Schnadova and killed mm. by the Nazis when they invaded in 1939. So, yes, years before, even before World War I, there was a part of uh, my family that came to this country. That was the part that was saved. And what's interesting, my father ended up going over there, not to Poland, but going. He was part of Normandy, which moved in to Europe and free, ultimately, he's part of the greatest generation and part of a Jewish group who, whose family were, whose part of their family were still there and drove back the Nazis. It's a kind of an interesting Amazing. story. And these are his... These are my grandfather's tefillin. Tefillin. Yeah, mm-hmm. tefillin. Phylacteries. Worn during the time of Jesus, worn by Jesus himself. Not those, not but these, the phylacteries. Not <laughs> But you are saying, man, this leather is starting no, to tear. No, 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 no. Yeah. So anyway, it just just interesting to me. And I'm sure my grandmother, uh, uh, all of them, but particularly my grandmother on my dad's side, very, very orthodox, 
uh, would not be happy with what I believe. But nonetheless, I am thrilled that they were willing to come and came by faith. Mm. And so the phylacteries are worn. There's a there's a lot of sophistication to this, Chris. First of all, we find the text. I'd like you to, if you have your text there. I have it open right here. Turn it to Deuteronomy 6.4. I'm already there. There you go. Shema I, Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let me give you, I don't do this often, but this is what I would have done at my bar mitzvah. Okay, here we go. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Nice. That's the beginning. Nice. And then you, then you read the rest of the text. Keep singing. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's enough. I, uh, we're from seven, we're down to three. We should. And they're the ones who are so old they could barely hear anything. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> but the phylacteries or tefillin are put on, they're donned, as we called. Uh, and they're put on your left arm. And the text says, read the text if, you, if you're if you there. Yep. It says, you, sh- you shall bind them for a sign upon what? Well, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And, you, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So think about it, Chris. Jewish people invented devotions. Mm. We invented them. There was no church then, no Christians then, nobody talking about spending time, quiet time with the Lord, none of that, except for Jewish people. And the first thing you do when you wake up, you have to ceremoniously clean your hands and all that. There's certain things you have to do. But then... The men bind it as a sign. They wrap it seven times. Number seven, very important. And nice and tight, too. It, very tight. And then they wrap it around their uh, ring finger and their uh, middle finger to make the Hebrew letter shin, which is the first letter, shema. Here, pay, the idea is pay attention. Mm-hmm. Hear, O Israel. It's a call out to Israel. And so it points to your heart, and it sits on your head, so, if God has your heart mm-hmm. and God has your head, no matter how small the brain might be there, it doesn't <laughs> matter how much how much of you does God have if he has your heart and your head? All of you. He's got all and that's every morning and your hand. And your hand. Every morning the Jewish man will do his devotions and tell God, "I love you." And then he says, "I love you with all my heart." That that Hebrew word is labab. It's 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 your innermost. Be, it's your will. Uh, you know, we talk about love in America, uh, and what I mean, we right now the there's a strike going on. Uh, it's been since May for the writers, and just recently the oh, yeah. actors the went on strike. Yep. But let's face it: when it comes to Hollywood, love is projected differently than. The Bible idea of love. There's different Greek words for love, uh, and the Hebrew word here. Uh, why don't you turn to Exodus 21? Okay, because this kind of love is the kind of love we're supposed to promise when we get married. Uh, once you get married, 
That love is an act of your will, and you're promising your spouse, I will love you till death do us part, is the old commitment. But read, starting in verse 2, read about three verses from there. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he should go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. There is the definition of how we're to love God. Did you see what happened? If the, if the slave who, at the seventh year, by the way, Torah law, he could go free. Mm-hmm. But if during that time, he's, he's uh, like in life, believe it or not, as a slave, we're not thinking of civil war, uh, South, South America, South in America, the mm-hmm. Southern states in America. We're, th- we're thinking here, a, 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 a slave who's an indentured servant at the seventh year, he could go free. But if he gets married, and if he likes his situation, he can say, I don't want to go. Why would I want to go? My master takes care of me. I work. I'm part of the family. I'm married. I have kids. I want to stay. And he gets a sign for that where he gets a hole put in his ear, and it locks him in to his situation. Chris, when we wake up, we being, when Jewish people wake up and they say the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love him. It's not an emotional love. It mm-hmm. might, it could be that God did something for you, that's emotional, drives you. Hey, David wrote some Psalms, I'm sure, just driven by his emotion and his commitment to God. But this is a decision. Mm-hmm. I choose to love you. I know who you are. I know what you do. I know how you how you are to me, and I am lock stock. You own me. That's what love is. And Chris, you know, one that of the sounds p- like Paul too, because Paul calls himself a bond servant of the Lord, and that's the exact concept it's the that he exact uses there. concept. So you're to love him with all your heart, your will, all your mind. That that uh, uh, all your soul, rather. Second, that's the word nephesh. It's the it's the part that you can't see, your innermost, what makes you you. you yep. uh, so you and I, we, we joke about our uh, bobbleheads. That's the shell. That's how people recognize what's me mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. And so you got, I love you with all my heart. That's an act of my will. I love you with all my soul. That's my innermost being. And then moed is that third word. I love you with all my mind or strength. Everything that I have, the Every who I am, what I can be, everything I choose to love you, Chris. That's not emotional. Mm-hmm. That's even when we're depressed, even when we're uh, not feeling great. Uh, look, m- my wife hardly listens. I'm telling. <laughs> sometimes she does. Uh, Is she, she listening to the podcast right now? <laughs> she could. She who knows? She could be. But the fact is, there are times I know she. Oh, she loves me all the time, but she doesn't like me. All the time. And there's times I drive her crazy. But she's committed. She's so... And the same for me. My parents, who aren't 
weren't Christians. They mar- were married 62 years. They shouted and yelled, and but they were they loved each other as an act of their will, as mm. part of their heart, their mind, their soul. They loved each other. I remember the first time they argued that I can remember, oh, you're going to get a divorce, and they stopped fighting, which was good. <laughs> and they turned both at the same time and said, what are you talking about? We're just talking here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that's yeah. commitment. That's that's sold out to each other. That's right. That's the way Jewish people should be sold out to God. And I might add, that's the way we're to be sold out for God as well. So when you put the phylacteries on, what is what's in the box that you're binding on? And it says in between you the front lid of your eyes, which is your mind. Right here, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And your heart. What yep. are you putting on your heart, your hands, you're your putting, mind? You're putting the word of God. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 11. There's uh, four sections of text all in the Torah, uh, Exodus as well, and you're 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 putting God's word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You're to love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. It goes on to say, you shall teach them diligently. Mm. What's that word diligently? That Hebrew word has the idea of doing it over and over and over. It's the same idea when you take a knife back in those days, you'd put it over a stone. And you'd go the same way over and over and repeat it. You're getting bored doing it all the time, but you're sharpening the knife. And so the idea of teaching to your kids when you walk by the way, when you rise up and when you lie down, I have in that section, we don't have enough time to cover it, but I have in that section examples. What do we do on the way? Chris, with your four kids, I'll tell you what you do on the way. You go to soccer practice. You go to school. You're driving them to school. You're taking them to soccer. You're you're going to the grocery store with your kids. You're and your case, you've taken your kids one at a time on trips of ministry. That's what you do by the way. And you use those opportunities to teach God's word, to teach them about God in different you're going to I'm going to camp to visit my spend time with my grandkids where they're on the beach. We're going to play golf. We're going to, uh, my grandson loves to play catch, which is one of my favorite things to do. And so what do you, you talk about life. You talk about spiritual, you talk about everything. That's what you do by the way. And God knew that. So he said, you t- a teach it when you walk by the way, when you rise up, there's your devotions. Mm-hmm. And when you lie down, you're praying before you go to sleep. That's the Jewish mind was to be, absorbed with their love for God. He's every part of our being. And so, yes, you're dressed for worship. No question about it. It's a it's an outward sign. You know, it's interesting, a long time ago, uh, again, because of my age, uh, uh, Dobson, who had, was started Focus on the Family, mm-hmm. had a whole section, this would be in the 90s, uh, where he highlighted Christians who took the bar mitzvah that Jewish people have at 13, that's kind of your uh, journey to manhood or womanhood uh, as, a, as a journey, uh, and use that as a means to bridge uh, a, a service where we welcome them as adults. Not that they've arrived, stopped learning, but the idea, I've, I've coached you, I've taught you, I've spent time with mm-hmm. you, just, just like Jewish people do, taking this the principles of what, uh, biblical Judaism was all about, and even what rabbinical Judaism, and uh, tr- transform it in a Christian way. So I still remember that article where one Christian uh, uh, family uh, on their daughter's 
uh, 16th birthday, they designed a ring with the family signia on it and uh, and presented it to her. You're a young Christian woman. We want you to walk with God. We've taught you. We'll continue to teach you. We want you to memor have a memory of this. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of an interesting thing and we're not advocating people to become Jewish here. No. We're 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 but giving But these are, you know, we all I, even as Christians, we have ways that we try to remember the Lord and they're not all, you know, they're not like this, but there are certain things people do to try to remember God during the day. Maybe it starts with their devotions, they're in God's word, but they might have something that they use to remember God's faithfulness or they remember God's kindness or you know, whatever the case might be, um, that that's the point of what we're looking at here. These are, I, I think, more bi these are biblical. That God did say you need to make uh, an outer garment to yep. remember the, you know, to remember me, to remember my commandments. All these things are designed to remember God's commandments that you that you would remember. Because how do you do it repetitively? Well, you got to get up every morning and do it and say your prayers. So, and let me just close with this. Uh, well, we also have to just do this one really quick oh, too. Yeah, but let me just read Deuteronomy chapter thirty because this this is again in the Torah, but it applies to the Jewish. It, it applies to Christians. Listen what it says: For this commandment which I command you today is not mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It's not in heaven that you shall say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Now listen to this, Chris. But the word is very near to you, in your mouth, in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, we talked about that last week, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve him, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish, and you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him as he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So this is before they go into the land. But I've said this at platforms in a, in a church as I'm standing preaching and saying, the word is not far from you. Mm -hmm. And guess what, Chris? At your average church today, when you're sitting in a pew or you're sitting in a chair, usually in the front of you or sometimes below you is a Bible. Yeah. And usually churches put it there because not everybody who walks in has the Bible, and they want to make sure that you have it. So I say to them, look at how close the word, the word is. Mm -hmm. And I say in a Jewish home, although most Jewish people don't read the Bible, almost all of them have one. Mm -hmm. So the word is very near to you. That's talking about the word of God. We talk about Jesus is the word incarnate, uh, and he's not very far from them 
either. That's right. And then we have one more as well. The mezuzah. The mezuzah. Same texts that are in People the People always want to know, what is this thing on the doorpost? You know, and it's always slanted a little bit. It is slanted, and there's a whole rabbinic reasons why it has to be tilted, and it goes on and on. You could you could check that out. But the bottom line is, the mezuzah is not the case. This is the case. Mm-hmm. The, the container. Uh, this one happens to... Oh, I have it upside down. I just see... <laughs> Uh, th- this is the container of the scripture that's handwritten by a scribe. We we learn about scribes in the New Testament. Uh, scribes write the text here. And by the way, to get hand, you could go uh, in any gift shop in Israel and get the text that goes in the mezuzah. If a printer does it, it's about $2. If a scribe does it, it could be $100. They have to do it in minuscule, mm-hmm. but they do it all by hand. When you so, when you kosher come, or unkosher, yeah, uh, scribe. When you do encounter with us, uh, we actually go up to Brooklyn, and anybody can join us. Um, we go three times a year um, on our encounter to encounter the Jewish community. And one of the things that we do when we're up in Brooklyn is we see a scribe writing out. I think um, little scrolls for mezuzahs. He's that's and he's exactly right. Being so, diligent to do that's it. the mezuzah. Yep. That, 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 but the container or the 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 housing of it, this one is Jerusalem on the outside. It's made, I think, of plastic here. It's not very expensive. But, oh, Chris, you've been to Israel where they're made of olive wood. Mm-hmm. They're done in ceramic, some sort of ceramic. Gold, mm-hmm. actually gold, and put on the doorpost. The largest mezuzah is in um, Israel, and it's I think it's on a city. I mean, the thing's got to be six feet big by, you know, three feet. It's massive. The thing is huge. And people point out that's the largest mezuzah. They have them in hospitals. I think Kaplan Medical Center, where we serve, has one of the largest mezuzahs that's hanging on the— I'm sure in each room to the hospital is a mezuzah. 100%. The only room you're not supposed to put it in is the bathroom because it's trafe. It's mm-hmm. unclean. Multiple mezuzahs in in one home is not uncommon at all, but certainly the main entryway should have a mezuzah. And again, what's contained in in this is the Shema here and the that text that you read, uh, and this identifies a Jewish person. So it's a and it has the shin on the front, like you yep, talked about earlier, right. to mark the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Hero yep. Israel, and that comes from again Deuteronomy six, which says. Um, that you shall, uh, uh, what does it say here? It says, I will, uh, wait a minute, that's the Exodus passage. Hang on one second. Deuteronomy 6, it says this, um, uh, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that's what the mezuzah is for there. It's So the commandment is to families. The core of Judaism is the family. You identify as a family, and so you mark it in your house. You teach it to your children. Uh, it's 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 very important. Uh, Jewish people don't rely on the synagogue, or they shouldn't res, uh, rely on the synagogue to be the focal point of of carrying on their quote religion, mm-hmm. Judaism. But they do. Christians, what we have VBS. We have Sunday school, which we should. I love them. I, I've been involved in those ministries. I know you have too. But sometimes Christians just say, or, or Christian school, which is great. Sometimes we say, they'll take care of it. We're the ones that should take care of it. 
and it's mm-hmm. important to do so. Well, this has been great, Steve, to be able to see your bag of tricks, as you call yep. them, and you pull out all the elements to help us better understand how Jewish people worship. It does. It shouldn't come from a ritual heart. It should come from a heart to want to love God. That's the origins of it. But of course, these things become ritualistic. I have to do. I have to do this today. I have to do this today. Where really, God, like you said when you read Deuteronomy six, is saying it's about it's about giving all of who you are to Him. Your your heart, your mind, your strength all of it from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So that was really interesting, Steve. I appreciate that. Good, good. Um, All right, so we have some interesting news as well. Steve dug these up. Steve, so why don't you take it away? Okay, good news. Israel increases efforts to develop natural gas explorations off its coast. Chris, we are living at a time when they want windmills and they want uh, 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 solar panels, and by the way, Israel has solar panels. Tons they, of them. They, they've, they've been, been doing that for years. For years and years. Yep. But that's because they never thought they had natural resources. But according uh, to uh, All Israel News, uh, Israel's Energy and Infrastructure Ministry has received nine bids from companies to explore and discover additional offshore natural gas fields. And Chris... Well, and the, they already have large... I mean, I think it's called the Leviathan. It is. It's massive. But these are other ones they're developing. And their uh, energy minister, Israel Katz, stressed that energy is power. 100%. That is... I, I'm, you don't hear that anymore. Nope. Energy is power. Uh, of the nine companies which have submitted bids for Israel's latest tender to explore new gas fields, five have reportedly never operated in the Israeli market. And so, Chris, this to me is good news. And we're in a country now that gas stoves are they're going <laughs> to yeah. outlaw gas stoves and wood burning fireplaces and all kinds of stuff. Well, thank God Israel is saying, you know what? We know where the power is and is and power uh, uh Energy is power, and we want to develop it. There's, I think it's amazing. There's that famous line from Golda Meir who said something along the lines of, you Wrong know, oh, yeah, God, you know, brought us from the, you know, Egypt up into the only land in the Middle East that had no oil. But you're right. They didn't have oil. I, you know, I don't know if you've uh, visited with me, but there was a company in Dallas, Texas. Natru- uh, Zion, Zion Oil and Gas. I was, we were, we had one of our tours that went to Caesarea, where he took us to a restaurant there and told us about what he was doing and why he was doing it. Oh, we had the best food there. Was, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was a, he has a, it's, it's still around. It's a public company and, you know, he's looking for oil in Israel. But I don't think this is his company. But a few years ago, off the coast of the Mediterranean, Israel hit a big jackpot. It hit natural gas. And uh, it took Israel a long time to develop it, though. I remember talking with people in that interim period when they found that natural gas and they wanted to develop it. The question is, well, how much does the state of Israel get involved? How much does uh, a private company get involved? Who pays taxes? This And it pushed it back and pushed it back. Well, finally, after years, uh, it went through the Knesset, and they've been developing lots of natural gas, even to the point where— Israel offered when the Russian war has it been has been going on instead of Russia feeding gas and energy to Europe Israel has offered to feed gas or gas they can to, export it it's yep, amazing 100%. it's amazing the the second one is and I just love this Chris finally uh 
Saudi Arabia continues, continues. So this is in the continuing tense. It's the present tense. It's going on right now. Saudi Arabia continues to remove anti-Israeli and anti-Semitic context content from textbooks. Yeah. Oh, Chris, that is good news. And the bad news is they're anti- they've been historically anti-Semitic. It's bad, and it's ingrained in their culture. But because of the Abraham Accords, because of other things that are going on in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia is trying to remove them. It says a study released in May by the London-based Institute for Monitoring, Monitoring Peace and Cultural Tolerance in School Education found that nearly all anti nearly all anti-Semitic content had been removed from Saudi textbooks. You know, it's interesting because just a few years ago, I heard that when you'd fly in an airplane, um, you know, and you'd go over Israel to, you know, you know, um, Saudi Arabia or wherever, or you were near Israel, you know, how it has the map that you can see where you're flying, it would be blurred out, you know, and now we're living in a day where there are textbooks and, you know, they're removing the anti-Semitism. And that's a game changer because, see, uh, you know, I always tell people they're still, you know, even though there's these peace accords made, for instance, with Egypt or Jordan between Israel, Egypt and Jordan. Yeah, there's peace on a diplomatic level. But when you get down the mainstream in Cairo, uh, main, you know, Main Street in Cairo or Main Street in Amman, there's still uh, anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism. It takes a long time. And long time. the kids are raised to hate it. So, you know, I, there was an article I read once where a kid uh, got a scholarship to to go study in Tel Aviv from Egypt, and he was the valid Victorian, and he gets up and he speaks as he's graduating in Tel Aviv. He said, I have to tell you something. I was raised in Egypt to hate Israel. It's in our music. It's in our textbooks. It's in this and that and the other. And he goes, now that I'm here, though, and I've learned the culture, I've spent time with Israelis, it's a beautiful country, and it's all wrong. And so, you know, you, you don't realize it, but you have to start down with the kids, because the kids are the ones who are being taught these things. And so this is big, because if it's not in textbooks anymore, then at least it's not in the school system. Uh, so that's a big move. And, and you know, Chris, one of the reasons we started Origins so many years ago was to give young people an opportunity to experience Israel, just like that a young Egyptian man who went, who had a scholarship. We spent, we don't, we don't live there, but we spend three weeks there, and it helps Christian young people understand. They're hearing things about Israel that are horrible, yep. uh, and they get to see and experience. It's it's a slow process, so we must commend the Saudis for for doing that. Well, Steve, the Saudis seem to be doing a little bit better than Twitter. Uh-oh, what's Twitter doing? Well, it says an extensive study reveals Twitter accused Israel of human rights uh, violations more than any other country, including Iran. Yeah. It, <laughs> uh, it's unbelievable. 55 times more frequently than Russia, despite the war in Ukraine. <laughs> the article reads this. is This also comes from um, uh, All Israel News. That's Joel Rosenberg's news site. It says... The Jewish state has been accused of human rights violations on the Twitter social media platform way more than any other country in the world, according to an extensive study conducted by the Ruderman Family Foundation and the non-governmental organization Network Contagion Research Institute, NCRI. The study, which analyzed approximately 100 million tweets over several years, discovered that Israel is much more frequently accused of human rights violations than 
even the world's leading human rights offenders, such as Iran, North Korea, Russia, and China. So, I mean, like, go figure. This, Chris, this doesn't this surprise me one bit. Not at all. It doesn't. But I'm glad I'm glad they uh, reported it and put it on, and we're happy to let people know. It's a, it, again, I underscore, I live in the United States. It's not a perfect country. Israel, I love Israel. It's not a perfect country. But it, if you're ranking them, it's not even close to the bottom rung of people who do dastardly things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Israel is near the top of of being open and receptive to even groups that we as Christians might not identify with. But they they're free. They're a free country. That's right. And uh, this is really difficult for me. The idea of Twitter and people just. They spread lies all well, the time. It should be noted that it's not just Twitter, and the, I, you know, it's all over the place. But social media has given rise to anti-Semitism because people can mask themselves in social media. Uh, they can hide behind uh, um, a uh, a profile, and they can say disgusting anti-Semitic things. Um, it's free to do. They can say what they want. They can read an article and spew their anti-Semitism. Um, that is something that has been going on since the rise of social media. And what's happened with Elon Musk since he's taken over Twitter is that he's opened the platform up more on both sides. And what's happened, of course, when you open up the platform, it gives rise for more people to speak their mind. And, of course, anti-Semitism creeps up because what happens? People get the freedom to say what they want. And it's disgusting, the fact that, you know, I always think this, Steve, that It was only 80 years ago, 80 years ago that the Holocaust happened. Six million Jewish people were systematically murdered. And you would think that the world would have learned its lesson uh, uh, on on what the the Jewish people and, and what they went through. And yet here we are, you know, just 80 years later. This wasn't some barbaric thing that happened 800 years ago. It's 80 years ago. And we're here we're still dealing with the type of conversations that were coming out of Germany and Poland and Eastern Europe about Jewish people at that time. So anti-Semitism is not just a problem among, it's not just a problem, uh, a historical problem, it's a spiritual problem. And that's why it, it perpetuates over history. People always want to know, why is this always happening? It always happens to the Jewish people. Why is that? It's because it's not just a historical thing, it's a spiritual thing. Whatever God loves, Satan hates. That's right. That's the formula. Uh And so uh, God loves the Jewish people. Satan hates them. God loves the church. Satan hates them. So persecution is never far off from those whom God loves. Well, Steve, with that said, oh, there we go. Yiddish word of the day. Uh, I don't know uh, know why that jumped like that. I don't know. But in keeping with, uh, we've been uh, covering topics like the mezuzah and the talit and the tefillin. We're doing the Yiddish word, Yiddishkeit. Yiddishkeit is the Yiddish word of the day. Yiddishkeit. Yiddish, what does that even mean? It's Jewish culture, Jewish things, Jewish, uh, a way of life. Yeah, you, you, um, when you were telling me about it, you said it's the quality of being Jewish, the Jewish way of life and its customs and practices. Maybe your book shouldn't be called Jewish culture and customs. It should be called Yiddishkeit. No Gentile would have bought it. (laughs) (laughs) What? 
What is this, a disease? Yeah, that's right. Well, listen, if you want to learn more Yiddishkeit, though, if you want to learn more Jewish culture and customs, this is a great opportunity to pick up Steve's book, Jewish Culture and Customs. The link is in our show notes. You can actually even watch an interview that was done with him as he talks about the book. Uh, that's our Yiddish word of the day, everybody. Yiddishkeit. Steve, you're all Yiddish. This is our Yiddishkeit podcast room. We love this room. We love the podcast room. Well, hey, everybody, thank you so much for joining us on the Jew and Gentile podcast for another week. Steve, this was episode 96. That means we have four, no, three episodes hey, left. People, tell us what to do for our hundredth. 424-444-1948. Also, be sure to shoot over, over to foiequip.org, and there you can register for Patriarchs and Presidents with Paul Sharp. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you next week.